Ryan, back again. No, right now in my head's just going uh, Mortal Kombat style round two. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Okay, so we're going to talk about sincerity in these example movies. We just had too many things to fit into one episode, so this is like a second half, uh, a two-parter. You asked me the same time we discussed uh, preparing to talk about sincerity in the future, you asked me to watch my favorite movie again and see how different it feels now after having all this extra knowledge and you know you're definitely observing a lot observing a lot more now and i did and it was a very profound experience excellent idea right like sometimes coming up with good questions is the most important thing and that was great but you know five seconds into the movie i realized oh my fuck the whole point of this movie is sincerity so i want to talk about it and it's big enough to break off into its own part so we'll talk about, you know, how the cinematography and filmography knowledge just makes it different. And then we'll actually kind of get into the storytelling a little bit. And then we'll wrap up talking about maybe not your favorite movie, but a really interesting movie that you want to analyze apart from. Sounds like a good roadmap to me. All right, let's get started. So uh, the first part is my favorite movie of all. Is Fight Club. There's if you needed an excuse to watch that again. Come on. <laughs> I was actually surprised how long it's been since I watched. The The first hit was, oh, yeah, like, I definitely see a lot more and I hear more in the sound design and I can analyze this now and the story structure. But the biggest hit in the face was like, holy crap, I am a very different person now. Uh, like, we get into, like, the story part later on in this episode, but the themes on philosophy and on emotional intelligence and all this, this other stuff like i loved it as before but now like oh i'm seeing so many more layers to that and i'm also seeing the parts that they could have done a better job on and like the next steps after it like ooh, you know like oh i i could make this movie now you know <laughs> that is impressive if you think you can do that i'd I don't know if I can make something that level. Maybe uh, a less jerk way of putting it is, you know, I think you kind of like got me to poke and see something that this movie means a lot to me for these values of sincerity, uh, specifically inner inner sincerity. And I've kind of put my money where my mouth is since, you know, the years and years of the last time I've watched it. I have studied those things, listened to a lot of podcasts on those things, worked on those things, and I am significantly more knowledgeable and more skilled at this thing that has meant a lot to me for a very long time. That I agree with, and to be honest, wasn't trying to call you out. I fully believe you can make your own homage to it, but <laughs> I don't think either of us has access to the Hollywood budget right now. So there is some really cool stuff that I do think that we could do. You have got me inspired, and we'll talk about that when we get to the story part. So let's get to like the nice, crunchy like things to get right into. First of all, we have... Uh, it was a very, very story-heavy thing. It was based on a book, and it wasn't like a Harry Potter book. It was a very, very serious book. So the, the visuals, one, aren't the main cornerstone it stands on, but there was a lot of interesting stuff there. Uh, the first thing that hit me was that it's this very 
dark view. Uh, and I was like, oh, here's that Baroque style that I have loved my whole life and I'm obsessed with. And the second thing it hit me, like, like I know I'm going to sound like a jerk for saying this. The camera I'm using right now to film this podcast on is better than the camera they used to film this movie. They have all these scenes where it's like this dark emotional scene and it's at night and they're thinking about stuff and like half the light, half the face is lit, the other half face isn't. And it's all kind of just a little blurred. There's, there's not like a super dark or no light, you know. Sometimes, you know, there's stuff in the background that you should be able to see, but it's just kind of like the black felled out and it's gone. Um, I'm like, oh. Yeah, if I had my camera, I could just rock right there and you'd completely able to clearly see the background and everything. At a certain point, though, do you think that would take away from the focus of the shot? Yeah, I'm glad that you asked that question. That is the custom to be looking for. That, totally true. The A7S three does that so many times where I have to tell it, dude, this is supposed to look dark. Calm the freak down. I'm very impressed that you made... 3 a.m. out in the field look like noon, but we're trying to go for the night vibe. We want to still capture that feeling of it being a dark, gloomy environment. So that's a legit thing. There are plenty of times where I would have to like dial down my settings so that you could reveal that. But I've, you know, we've had enough training looking at things. Like, no, this was not an intentional choice. This was a limitation of the gear. The scene would have been more expressive. It's you. You could kind of. I feel like we have a good sense now. For example, you'd have Lou's diner in the background. And you could tell we wanted to see it. It was significant, important. It was there on purpose. We're supposed to be seeing it. But it's kind of like half difficult to see just because you can't get the lit characters and the dark diner at the same time. While still maintaining that, you know, darkness mood. Like this, no, you could have that feeling of dark, but you'd be able to see it, not just falling off a cliff dark. That makes sense, and I mean, the movie is, what year did it come out? I mean, cameras <laughs> have probably gotten a little bit better. Were you even alive back then? Barely. <laughs> In my own defense, I didn't see it till like 10 years after it came out, because I just heard Brad Pitt and Fight Club, and every time I heard about this movie was girls talking about how they want to go see it just to like, you know, just female pornography. Like, this sounds boring as heck. You know, if I want to see an action movie, I'll see an action movie where the girls are half naked. Fair point. So it was a real kind of bizarre coincidence when I ever did see the movie. It's a real, I don't even know how I'd describe it to someone who hadn't seen it and what I would try and convince them what style of story it is. Because in a way, it is kind of a tragedy, I guess. Hmm. There, it's it's certainly a serious drama. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'd classify that as. We'll try and get to that to the when we get to the story part of the segment. Yes, yeah, sorry. The next thing I want to ask you is on the visuals. It hit me like a ton of bricks. You see the grain of film. This is something that people brag like crazy that's a horrible thing that we don't see anymore video games will actually slow down their frame rate to add an effect to add that film grain in artificially and 
What do you think about film grain? I think it can be used artistically to give you a feeling of, oh, this is this era, this style of movie. Hmm. So I'd think about it as, okay, what movies were big? What What style of movies? And then are we trying to make something like that? Cool, let's emulate it. Are we trying to make something more modern? Are we trying to make something seem even older? All right, if it's even older, let's do black and white. Let's do sepia tones. Let's change out the dimension ratios. Let's try and make it emulate what time period we're trying to make the movie or what feeling we're trying to give the movie. That I like that answer. I wouldn't have expected that, but... It is from the past. So trying to capture the past would be a bonus. That's valid. Every time I hear people talk about stuff like this and 24 frames per second, there's this kind of conceited thing where I can tell it's just some insecurity trying to pass itself off. of It's better. It's superior. You should absolutely be trying to do it. Uh, it's weird when people say that. I don't think it's better. I actually don't like 24 frames per second either. but. I've had so many courses where people are telling you that that is superior and you should be bending over backwards to make sure you have it because it looks better. No, like, it's your mom, dude. You grew up with your mom. You like your mom because she's the one you spent your life with. It's not that she's, you know, the, the actual fastest swimmer in the world, dude. Get, like, I want to slap him. Come on. See reality. There's a time and place for everything. Learn how to use this. Make it another tool in your tool belt. And when you have a good use for it, you can bring it up. Uh, just a short detour. I love your idea of like the past being represented by film grain. What, like, what kind of set thing would you do? Like, uh, let me try to put that better. It seems like such a generic time, but what, what kind of story would benefit from being set in that area instead of being set right now? Give me some good examples of movies. I'm struggling here to think of ones that have that good grain built in without going like too far back to Clint Eastwood. And I don't think we're going like spaghetti westerns. I don't think that's the style we're talking about. Hmm. Trying to think of more examples. It's not coming to me tonight. No, I literally didn't have any ideas myself, so I figured I'd just throw in the dark. Okay, so moving on. That's something we can come back to and look at. I'll do some research for next time. Hmm. So the next part was the camera angles. That was a big part of the training that I, you know, went through. One of the first things I really struggled with and got into a lot of burnout. And it hit me that this is nice. I actually feel like I can see them and recognize them when we're doing an establishing shot. Yeah, I feel that when we're, you know, doing something like a cowboy shot where you want to be close enough to see their emotions, but show that they could be taking action with their hands, which are the most dangerous parts of a human, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I I see it while you're doing it. And then it feels like it meant. Um, So it was kind of more like visiting an old friend a little validating that it seems like I kind of know what the stuff, uh, it felt like when they were using it, like, oh yeah, that makes sense. 
it didn't feel like there's any times where the, the camera angles and movements were really motivated. Like it was adding something to it. If you had done a generic shot, I don't think it would have really removed a huge amount from the story. I do seem to remember there being one or two shots where it's in like a slow motion and the camera is moving around the scene and there's like things frozen in the air. And at that point, I think that's just a product of the time trying to show off that we can do this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think that's have, contributing. This has got to be pretty close to the time when the first Matrix came out. And this is maybe like the prototype of bullet time. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. I that's a really good point though. I didn't consider that as a camera angle, but it is and that that was an important feel because the whole plot, which you haven't seen it too late, dude, uh is a guy is so sleep deprived that he starts breaking into you know schizophrenia where he has like an alter ego he lives. And that line between perceiving my life, I'm perceiving it through his eyes, and just being so meant like sleep deprived that everything's going back and forth, like that that was really emotionally like transferred through that motion when they were doing that. You'll need to remind me because I haven't watched it in too long either. Did they do something with the exposure? Was it when uh, his alter ego was in frame? Did they make it more blue, I want to say, or something like that? I didn't notice that. Uh, there's a lot like of questions. I've read something about them doing some little thing like that. You know, I did some looking up too on color, and everything that I read, I, I read, like, nope, flat out. I don't like. It's not like uh, I don't see what you're talking about. No, I'm looking for it. It is not there. You are wrong. It. I mean, this is actually a good way to get into it. It felt to me like this was an exact. Someone was making the mistake of telling their story because they were actually talking about an article multiple articles about just the director's history of all his films mm. and then get to a little short uh, uh what was the phrase we used for like a little not a dead end but a, a little short little bit about the color and fight club and it didn't quite mix with the rest of their story so they kind of added extras crap to inflate it beyond what they actually thought and knew to make it, you know, when you should have just had the proper focus on, we're talking about these movies, you know, we're talking about Fincher's movies that are in, I don't know, you could have, you could have sliced it something where you didn't have to get into that, and they tried to put every little detail in, and it flopped the boat. So, as I like to call it, that is English class teachers saying, the curtains are blue, what is the significance of that? The curtains are fucking blue, that's all it was. Yeah, You're reading yeah. too much into it. Very good. Very good way to put it. Uh, I guess we'll jump into that right now then. There's three main colors I saw over and over, and it was not even subtle. There's blue, there's yellow, and there's red. And we'll, like two articles kept on talking about, oh, there was a lot of brown that represented how muddy his life and motions were. And then later they start clearing up into individual colors that are distinct and like there wasn't brown there was yellow and the yellow was bright and distinct i'm pretty sure i figured out i have a feeling that i have a strong feeling about what blue means 
Red, pretty sure I'm there too. But the yellow that kept showing up, I never could figure out a good way to peg it for anything. Okay. So I actually dug up my notebook that was sitting over here and had it open to color theory because I knew we were going to talk about this. Let me try and set the scene for you too, because we had a great discussion on this before. And that one of the points was there are so many different ways you could use it. You could use it subtly, or you could have it overdone and then give it a different emotion. You could do it with the intention of this is the, the positive version of this color and the negative version of this color. Today's discussion, I think it would help a lot if we were focusing, how was it used in this movie? So I went through and I uh, went through the movie and took screenshots of the different spots. One skill set we're going to have to learn is how to fair use, share things while we're talking about art without getting reaching to the level of a copyright problem. Yes. All my screenshots turned out to be clear blank. There's some sort of screen like copyright protection that I did not know about. Interesting. So that was a waste of half an hour. We are not prepared for that. So I'm going to describe them, and we'll go from that. Sounds good. So blue. Uh, there's a lot of places that we saw that a lot. In the very first scene, you see them at the top of the building before it's about to blow up. And it's just everything has this blue hue to it. Then you get to the beginning of the story where you flash back, and the guy's in his office. His boss wears a blue tie. He talks about his boss wears a blue tie. They talk about how his boss likes blue. They go into a meeting and they discuss getting blue icons. So blue is not a subtle thing. It's supposed to, like they're beating you over the head. This means something. Figure out what it means. Most of the, like the movie, that almost every scene kind of has this like blue haze, even when you don't have like a really bright blue subject in it. Uh, so lose design, lose diner where they start the fight club. That's blue, but it's you know a subtle hue. And when they're fighting outside, it's all in this really cold blue streetlight the entire time. And you keep seeing them coming up over and over that way. So I have written down that when blue is used in excess, it can show idealistic. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder if that's trying to show off, like, even point of it being just ridiculous, idealistic, and make it seem like hmm. this is how most people would say is ideal, but it's going so far, it's even going beyond that, and this is just ridiculous now. Uh, let's, let's stop there, because that actually might hit something. Where would you get the connection that blue means idealistic i honestly don't know but that's just what i had written down from the class and hmm. if i look at how many different icons now are on my laptop that use the color blue i can absolutely believe it huh i, I will look at my bookshelf and see what color what titles are blue books but got my green screen up and I can't see it. <laughs> the That's really interesting because I left out cheating the most important time they used blue when he starts getting into the, all that meditation and stuff 
he goes to a blue ice cave. And that's where he, you know, saves himself from the pain of all his negative emotions. And I've just seen it over and over and over. Blue seemed to represent not just calm, but complete disconnection from your emotions. It's coolness to the point of just frozen. But the other thing I see, too, is uh, what was the word you used for it? The idealistic? Yes. One of the themes is living a life where everyone's telling you what they believe is supposed to be right. This should mean this to you. You're supposed to care about that. And you're just following their ideals, just copy-pasted, without sincerely feeling them and caring about them. So if it's kind of like this, you actually said it a touristed. It's not just idealistic. You said some sort of der- ideal. I almost feel like it's, again, playing off that idea of taking it to an extreme. Well, we took it to the extreme and it's already idealistic. What if we keep going, push it to the extreme of that, and now it's a parody of itself? That's not that something is... we've explored. Because more than just like extreme that it's overbearing, the idea that these ideals or morals or stuff are a parody and they're kind of insincere and fake is one of the premises of the whole movie. So that's surprise like that's dead on so when you said that like holy crap i was how did you get that from blue that is i do i have seen the movie so this is also me hindsight 2020 here oh you're cheating (laughs) maybe (laughs) okay so we're gonna go to save yellow for last because i think that's the hardest one red i think this one's not gonna be subtle but uh first time that other Tyler shows up. He's wearing a red jacket. He's often wearing red shirts. <laughs> he steals a red car. I'm uh, realizing his whole character fits in for everything under red here. And I think the fact that red is not subtle is another meta point, you know, where the other guy that like the 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 waking guy, his life is a little bit unclear and fuzzy. He's not really strongly in touch with anything he's feeling. But other Tyler is very clear. Like this is what I'm about. So the fact that his color was not subtly hinted at said to something all its own. So I have written down that in extreme, red is anger and danger. <laughs> Definitely then, danger. Would you describe yeah, Tyler Durden as angry? There's times. I'd say short-tempered for sure. Hmm. I'm trying to think of any examples, and they're not coming to me. The two that I can think of is when he scars his hand with the uh, lie. Mm. He's, that one I remember being pretty angry. And mm. there was, I think it was the first fight that he got in in the movie. I want to say he was, of course, being his normal bravado self, but I want to say that first fight when they're in the street light and 
he's egging him on and using that anger. <laughs> I had a very different feeling. It felt like, you know, he never got into rage. The like for example, like one really big thing is when he has like the owner of Lou's Diner come down. Like he just laughs the whole time. You know, he doesn't get mad at him, getting the crap beat out of him. He's still laughing, just laughing the whole time. When they have their first fight, he just seems not to be doing it out of anger. It's like, you know, it's it's aggression, but he's laughing, having a good time. Um and the thing when he burns his hand with the lie, it was more of a stern. He wasn't yelling at like, I hate you, I'm mad at you, I dislike you. It was like this is a big freaking deal. Come on. Almost more it was like, like a controlled, a, reeled in version of it. it. It reminds me in the, the stage academy, the coach archetype. When a coach is, you know, motivating you, it's different than a motivator's motivating. It's very aggressive. It's yelling at you, but it's not, it's not anger. Well, going back to what else is in red when it's not in excess it also fits in passion mm-hmm. he's very passionate about what he does yes warmth and love and i seem to recall one or two scenes where that fits his character there definitely was he was the one who was in touch with sex yeah and there were certain parts where he actually had affection for people from that but it um if you actually stack it up it kind of seemed like he was more of a loving character than the other people in the film oh absolutely i mean he seemed to be the one who would give to other people rather than everyone else tended to see what's in this for me why am i doing this it was more self focused for them he was the one who was trying to build all this to help liberate others right right he was really trying to bring everyone along for it you know so those feel pretty strong uh the last one is yellow okay so this rapid we have the guy goes to his house when it's blown up in a yellow taxi there's a whole bunch of yellow firemen out front. The entrance to the building is this brass framing all over the place, way more than it needs to. They cut to a shot of the uh, the refrigerator has exploded, and inside it, you have a whole lot of red ketchup and yellow mustard smeared everywhere. Then you have an awful lot of scenes where yellow is just a framing color everywhere. When he goes to the cancer ward, and was talking, the whole scene is lit with a yellow light. And the final time, not the final time, but like when he has kind of gotten in control of his life and his boss is kind of just tiptoeing around him, his boss, instead of wearing a blue color tie, now wears a yellow tie. So I have yellow in excess being fearful, which... Mm-hmm. Definitely fits, but in moderation, the one that I think really fits in here is curiosity and joy. Hmm. Curiosity. The curiosity, I think, absolutely fits in with him exploring this new side. I like that. I'm going like, to have to take notes on that. I'm going to write that down. Uh, because that would fit completely. 
skipping a little bit into the the plot thing is the whole point is the guy lives his life completely just cutting himself off from his own emotions, just feeling what other people tell him to feel. And then Tyler is just all that repressed stuff and actually connecting to that and really feeling it yourself is where all the good stuff in life happens, even though you have to go through the, the negative feelings too. And the best way to go from here to there is curiosity, actually looking at yourself inside and going, what am I feeling? Not, please feel good things, don't feel anger things. Like, all right, even if it's something that's unpopular and not socially acceptable, uh, I want to know. I'm curious. And that's when those links start to form and everything seems to start to work. The one other thing with color theory and this movie that I'm interested in that I just noticed Red, blue, yellow. They picked the three primary colors. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's any significance to it being the primaries? You know, I wonder about that. And it's such a grappling of what is chosen simply because it's visibly, visually pleasing. Yeah, I do not know. I don't know what the answer to that is. That's a good question. I'm curious to look for more examples and see if there's a common theme between using the primaries and focusing on them like this. That'd be fun. You already make me want to watch this again just to really analyze where all the yellow has been used with the curiosity. But also it'd be kind of fun to just look up like, hey, chat GPT, which movies have a heavy red, yellow, blue focus in their color palette? Let's check out one of those movies sometime. Absolutely. That'd be real interesting to see what it comes up with. So that that was good. I, like, you know, I looked at it like, I don't know how we're going to find anything interesting in the color, but I know you always do. And you did. I mean, it's amazing how well this lines up. I absolutely need to keep exploring color theory more. Okay, so the last thing before we start getting into the, the story, which is, you know, the longest trail. You're a bit of an audio man. You do an excellent job. Your your podcasts are like radio podcasts. So there was one spot where it really hit me strong that the sound engineering, not the music, the sound engineering made a huge impact. We are going to attempt to get that sound shared right now and see what happens. Oh, I'm excited now. <laughs> Doing it live on the air. <laughs> Okay. Also share tab audio. Yes. Yes, please. All right. Are you able to see that? I am. So I'm told if you keep things under 20 seconds, you're likely to not get in trouble for showing something. So we're going to try to do this quick. This is the scene where he's talking with the guy, trying to get him to actually start triggering him to care about his life and actually do what really matters, you know, get in touch with what's really important to his emotions. Trying to get him to be sincere to himself. So this is the liquor store guy. He, the Tyler, other Tyler, has a gun to his head, threatening to kill him if he doesn't, you know, tell him all what he really thinks, and then try to like nudge him to becoming a veterinarian, which is what he says he really wants to be doing. The most powerful sound you hear the entire time is you start hearing a train coming in the background. Let's just give a listen and. Put your hands up if you can't hear anything. Where the midterms are? Oh. 
I asked you what you studied. Biology mostly. Why? <laughs> I don't know. What did you want to be, Raymond K. Hessel? <laughs> the question, Raymond, was what did you want to be? That's enough. So you hear the train coming in the background. And I pretty sure the train slowly gets louder. Louder, and I wouldn't be surprised if it gets faster. Hmm. Get trains and you hear it a lot in like horror movies, especially because there's something that you can hear from so far away and you can hear it get louder and closer and louder and closer and louder and closer. And everyone knows and can feel it's got that momentum, that weight to it. It's a great way of adding suspense and a feeling like something's coming, something's about to happen. Mm. This had an extra twist, in my opinion, where it felt heavily focused on more than the train itself, which is moving, the sound of the crossing, which is just there. It's not getting closer. It's just there. Always. But you know, if that crossing is going, the train's going to be coming soon. Mm. It's teasing you that this is going to happen. It's, it's like Chekhov's gun. You know the train's going to come, and you're just waiting for that loud bang. And there's a gun in frame. That's even more perfect, because it's you know the train is coming, but there's no sign of it now, which is kind of the message they're trying to say right there. You know, the, the threat of danger the importance of doing something with your life while you're still alive, you don't see the train. You don't hear the train, but you feel the never-ending warning sign that it is there, and you should listen to that. That is a really good fit. Good catch on that. I don't think I would have thought of it. Yeah, that was a pretty fun experience, you know? Okay, let's move on to the story. We can spend a little time on this. Now, it was, first of all, a little bit interesting because the, the movie talks about making movies. They get a little bit in discussion about storytelling and, you know, the cigar burns is a really famous scene and all this other stuff. So it's kind of another funny that a movie that stuck with me so much as my favorite movie is also has a little bit of storytelling and about how to tell stories woven into it. The next thing is they started with a flashback. And then after that flashback, they flash back again to something else. And I remember how starting a story with a flashback is something that you just really think is a great idea. <laughs> At times. When it's done well, it's really a powerful tool. But I feel like I've seen enough where it's not done well and it's become a trope that it's just it's been overplayed and done poorly enough times to where it's it's hard to go into it with an open mind anymore. Last time you gave such a good explanation of what doing it poorly looks like and why that like I, I see it more now. How did you feel about how they handled it in this situation? Honestly, I could not tell you I need to go back and watch the movie. 
Okay. I'll be curious someday. For me, like when you describe that the whole doing it poorly is just a way of trying to falsely inject action or emotion or caring without actually building anything up. And then just jumping back like, oh, okay, this is boring, but we're going to get to something interesting. So just hang on for that. It felt like this was done well, where it started and you are starting in the middle of it, but it's not starting in the middle of this loud explosion or people yelling and running. It started in the middle of a important conversation. So you kind of just have like, this is what matters. This really important. And then when you flash back, you flash back to another conversation where it all started. And it kind of felt this is the same path. You're just kind of seeing it at different times. Uh, I feel like there's a little bit more there that I'm not quite getting into my getting off my tongue. But when it's done like that, it feels more like you're sitting down with a friend and they're telling you about what happened last week and you're catching up and that's a great way of adding a personal co connection to the character making them seem more approachable like friends when it's in the middle of the action yeah it's just trying to get you to watch 30 minutes of backstory before the yeah. fight yeah it was adding information and knowledge and purpose it, yeah purpose that's what I like it was I adding like purpose to it instead of just stimulation. I could agree to that. So, uh, and the next part is the introduction and hook, the beginning where you have to get people like really hooked on it, really excited about it super fast. It was wild just how like there was none of that. People have already paid money. <laughs> They're not getting a refund. And they have driven there. They hunkered down for a good chunk of time. You um, bought your popcorn, your... You're locked in. Yeah. You know, and there's some things about the way things have changed that you can make a complaint. I'm like, yeah, I think that you're just complaining just because you don't like different. Sorry, it's not 24 frames per second anymore. But that was one part where, you know, I like that we do this style. I do. But I could see how this style of a slow warm up has a different thing to offer. That would be nice sometimes. I think that there's a time and place for it again. And especially with doing content on like social media, YouTube, that sort of thing, it would be very hard to compete with what else is out there with how much is out there doing a slow burn like that. I think yeah. that's where we would struggle with it. But I think if you've got a giant following who's dedicated, you could absolutely start to do that kind of content. I have so many positive feelings about this movie from my previous experiences, but that's a great question. Would I feel this way if I was, you know, how would I feel if I was going to watch this movie for the first time right now, you know? Well, not even that. Imagine if your first time being exposed to this movie was scrolling through TikTok and you saw just the first two minutes as just like a video on TikTok. Would it have caught your attention? Would you have watched the full two minutes, or would you have scrolled to see a video of a woman with a hula hoop? You know, another question that comes to my mind is if they had done the modern style of proper hook in their their movie, would that have made their advertising like that? And would have I actually seen this movie when it came out instead of ten years later? I'd be interested to see what the ads looked like because it clearly was successful in getting people in to see it. 
Yeah. Uh, part of it is they're trying to like preserve the mystery. So it was really hard to really see, you know, oh, this is what I'm into. I like that. I want to go. Like, you're not showing me that's what it's about. I do kind of miss having movie trailers that kept the movie somewhat a mystery. I feel like there's been a lot of recent movies where they show all the best highlight reels and give you, Mm. here's basically the story of the movie, and you go see it, and all you're watching that's not in the trailer is filler. That's been another reason to start doing more just gut-check decisions, which has helped me be better at the creative work, because there's so many things that you can't be certain until afterwards. You just have to take a whole lot of leap of faith leaps of faith with your initial impression has been such a useful skill that's so like the the new wonka movie which is the prequel of when he was younger right like i didn't see stuff i'm like well i like that thing i'm probably gonna go no reason to see the trailers i'll just go on blind it's more fun that way yeah you know if it was a bad movie you know i'm probably not gonna be able to see a trailer that will convince me that ahead of time so i'm still screwed but if it's a good movie I had even more fun not having any clue what's going on. All right, so getting into the plot part. That's what this really was about. And man, like, I was already just so excited from that whole insight on storytelling from this morning. Analyzing this right now, just to come back to you and discuss it, would have given me stress, and I would have, like, had so many things I wanted to cover. The the plot of Fight Club hits so many things, and it's just, the way that's a good movie, a great movie, is it's geniusly woven together. Analyzing that. You know what I'm feeling? I'm not feeling any of that. I'm feeling this calm of, man, there's a lot of different sides to this story. Hmm. I can pick one side and we can do that. We don't have to get all of them at once. <laughs> we can pick one side, do it well, and I actually feel I'm going to enjoy this more because we're only picking one of them instead of trying to hit it all like a job, you know? Yeah, so that sounds great, and we can always come back and do this again sometime. Exactly. I'm, I'm kind of thinking, like, I'm having more awareness of how much time goes into each project so I can plan how ready I am for him. Oh, crap, that Irish whiskey thing. I was not ready for that yet. But I, I would love to make three videos about Fight Club from three different perspectives. That would be nice. So for today, uh, I think it's the primary one. And for me, definitely the most important one that resonates a whole lot. The movie is about being sincere to yourself. So we're going to go through this chronologically through the movie. Uh, It starts off and the, the narrator, what he's talking about and the way he speaks, it's emotionless. He has no connection to any of his feelings. Like he'll say things, but he's just, repeating it because he knows that's what other people feel about it or what he's been told to feel but they're not his emotions the only thing he does is consume just buying things which is again advertising power structures or whatever have told you that you should want these these will make you feel these emotions and he's like okay um not listening to mine so i'll listen to you and do that Yeah, that sounds still culturally relevant. I think all of this is like a journey we all have to go through in our own lives, and that's kind of one of the, the big things to do. Then you get to the next part. They're hanging out, you know, getting cleaned up after their fight club thing. They're talking about their fathers. And 
um, there's the part of like them not really getting close to each other. That's a separate angle that we're not going to get into today. But the angle that we're going on to with sincerity, they talk about how, you know, his dad told him, go to college. It's like, okay, I'll do it. Not because he wants to go to college or he's excited about it or anything. Just because his dad said so. So he's kind of just absorbing or imitating or reflecting someone else's emotions instead of his own. Then after college, he's like, oh, I graduated. What should I do? His dad says, get married. Not because there's a woman I found I love her or I really want to have a family. Just, all right, I'm just completely disconnected from what I care about. Tell me something. Okay, I'll go do that, dad. Just constantly chasing and going, oh, this is how other people have found happiness. Maybe it will make me happy. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of, the, like, there's, there's a lot to you. Like, you got to do your thing for yourself, not what worked for someone else. Because, you know, the, the phrase I've been kicking around is, it's like saying, what is the best size of shoe? Like, it de- depends on the size of your feet. It's not going to be the same for me or you, man. That's the fun part. Everyone's life is different. We're all going to value different things differently. Find what makes you happy and who cares what other people say. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons why it's scary to do that, which is the other side of the story of, you know, why that is. But save that another time. So we have that. Then you move on to, yeah. So the primary reason why people are afraid to get in touch with their own emotions in some ways, the movie Fight Club is about death. It's about how, you know, you're denying that you're dying, you know, makes you immediately stop feeling anything. Because it's scary to think about that. But scared is a real emotion. It's your emotion. You'd be feeling it. But if you just want to run away from that, you do like the whole, the blue cave, calm all your emotions, like make them all just go away. And you don't have to feel that fear, but you're not going to feel anything else. And you take it to the extreme, which is a whole thing that's been useful to do with you. It's like, okay, I just don't want to feel these emotions. So lock them down. Great. I don't feel sad or angry. Don't feel scared. If you take that to the extreme of like not feeling any emotions, it's kind of just not being alive anymore. I mean, I think that's where this whole movie takes place is trying to feel alive again. Just, I want to feel something, anything now. Mm. Even if it's getting my job broken, I just (laughs) need to feel this. That was one part. I I feel like I do know a lot about this stuff these days now. That was one part that I criticize this heavily for. Every time they get fighting or every time they get really in touch with their emotions, only one emotion comes out happiness that is so bullshit that kind of is a little bit contrary to the entire like premise you're trying to go you know like you get a big fight and you lose the dude's gonna be mad he's gonna be full of rage he might be like feel shitty he might be ashamed all these things those are also still really useful emotions it's good to get connected with those you need to have all of them freely able to communicate for you to feel the other ones but the movie it's a movie it only wants to portray like the fun part. <laughs> See, I'd actually say that's showing how 
desperate these guys were to feel anything that, hey, I'm not numb to the world around me anymore. I can feel defeated. I can feel hurt, injured. I can feel something, and that's exciting. Mm. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just, that is like the initial thing that you would feel, and the other stuff you would have to get later on. So who knows? At this point, it could be me being an English teacher saying, why are the curtains blue? I feel like there's so much you could go. And like, it's kind of like the Bible where if you look at it, you could probably find a good explanation for anything. Even, you know, well, this is kind of interesting, too, where that is something that's inside of you. If you look at this and you come up with an explanation that, quote unquote, isn't there, that's an idea from you. So that is still productive and interesting for a story about becoming sincere with yourself. So I'm going to derail us a little bit, but it's a short one, I promise. There's a very famous cartoon that's famous among writers. It's a far side comic, I believe, called Cow Tools. And there's (laughs) a cow and there's a bench with a few different rudimentary tools. And there's one that looks like a hacksaw, one that looks like a hammer. And then there's two that just look like squiggled blobs, and no one has any idea what they are. And it's this stupid little newspaper comic, one panel. No one should have thought about it more than anything. He just didn't know what tools to draw, so he just drew something. Mm-hmm. But people were obsessed with trying to figure out what these are, what they could do, what did he base them on. Oh. That the comic grew so much bigger. He didn't even have an answer. He just put something out there. And because it was surrounded by things that did make sense, people were desperate to find meaning in it. That, you know, desperate to find meaning is the third side of this story that I saw that I'm going to save for another day. But that's, it's hard to not connect them, man. They're rarely related. Everything is. That's all we're learning here. Mm. Uh, trying to get more good at the entertainment. We're going to focus on a bite-sized part that's going to be fun instead of getting everything and getting tired of. So the next part, the next chronological scene is really just flat out denying that he wants Marla. That's the most explicit and obvious he has been about suppressing his emotions through the entire film. You know? Because I kind of had like the breakdown where so detached from that that he can only have sex with her when he's like in other Tyler mode. Yeah. He's confused about who's who, so he's all angry and jealous that like she's sleeping with this guy when he wants to sleep with her. I'm like, you're the same dude. You could totally do it right now. But he's just so, you know, you know, this could be interesting. Why? Why is he so adamant about not liking her or enjoying sleeping with her that he has to like you know be mad at himself be mad at the world instead of just being like yeah that is something i like i'm trying to i seem to remember at the beginning of the movie doesn't he change the support group that he's is he lying to them in the beginning i'm trying to remember yeah so intro plot is he can't sleep they goes to a support group and then he feels a connection with them vicariously through their emotion. Then he can start sleeping again. 
So he goes to a whole bunch, just never says anything, just to be there. And then she starts showing up doing kind of the same thing, and he has to go to different groups trying to avoid her, right? Yeah, seeing her do it makes him realize that, remember, he's being fake. He can't lie to himself anymore about faking. And then sincerity is what he was, at least some... That's an interesting point. Somehow it was fake, but somehow that fakeness felt sincere enough that it was an improvement. But then when she showed up, the level of confronting the fakeness was just too much, and she was back to where he was before. Yeah, it's strange. I'm not sure what to think about that. Yeah. I'm just going to go with it was, you know, wanting sex is like the easiest thing to make people relate to and quickest thing to explain in a film. So I was like, hey, like you're completely hating admitting yourself to like that you want anything. You don't want to want anything because then you can't have it, you know, or it's going to be hard work to get it or whatever. You know, I don't know. I don't think they really go into like the why. But like society as a whole has a sickness that people are afraid to admit what they want. Something like that. But the whole movie with the Fight Club is him learning to embrace those wanting things that Mm -hmm. are outside of the norm or wanting things that he's pushed to the side and tried to ignore. Yeah. Like that's the whole movie's about. It's, you know, that integration how like him going on the journey to get it and there's a lot of neat stuff like pretty much all the rest of the points i have like chronological because this is a story you're separate you realize you have value and then how do you actually connect together you know you have him um like fighting himself because like ah i can't make peace with the these wants i have and then uh it gets more and more violent the closer you actually get to each other because you know when you make peace with your own emotions it's like oh i'm cold like Oh, great. You want to connect? Great. No, like, one, they're powerful emotions, and two, your emotions are a little bit angry at you for, like, just treating them like an abandoned child for all these years. So, you know, you have to go over a really bumpy patch before things get nice again. But then you have the scene where uh, he's literally chasing the other Tyler. <laughs> like, just flying all over the place, like, I gotta find you, I gotta find you. Like, okay, dude. Get in touch with those emotions. It's going to take a little work to find where the fuck they went. It is a crazy movie. Hmm. But I think it goes beyond symbolism as just, oh, no, this is literally is a story of a dude's emotions becoming physical. Uh, another part I liked was, I'm um, keeping with this theme, is they have the part where Fight Club event evolved to Project Mayhem and Project Mayhem people have no names. It's like he's gotten to the extreme version of being disconnected from his emotions that you don't even have a name. And this when you start to hit on the fact that this dude is so disconnected from himself that in a way he's just kind of just mentally just killing himself. Like I don't exist. I don't I'm not here. That not only does he not have a name he doesn't even notice that he doesn't have a name. Like, have that's the how little he actually thinks about himself. The little introspection, you know, it'd be one thing if you had no name. Like, well, that's weird. But if you never even asked 
what your name was or tried to use it or ever had anyone address you. That is an insane level of just not looking at yourself. Yeah, I wonder. You're making me need to watch this movie again, man. Let's forget how deep this goes. That's my favorite type of movie. There's just so many layers that every time I watch it, there's more that I pick up. So my brain isn't bored. Fair enough. I can appreciate that. Okay, so wrap up with the end. The, the final part is, you know, he has to shoot himself in the head to get rid of Tyler Durden. And that's kind of the, uh, the slow burn theme that's been building up the whole time is all of this disconnect and all this, you know, whatever form of pain it is, comes from being unwilling to look the painful emotion that you're going to die in the face. And then at the end, he's like, yeah, I'm mortal. I'm going to die. I'm going to do something dangerous right now. I might die right now. I'm going to take that risk knowing that it's what's going on. You know, his last lines, I think, were like, my eyes are open. You know, and you can't ever live until you're really just, you know, getting in touch with like, yeah, this is scary. It sucks. We're going to die. But then you at least live a little bit. If you're completely trying to avoid that, then you just just dead already. hell of a last what 10 15 minutes to the movie it's hmm. such a reveal such a roller coaster especially <laughs> yeah. the first time that was a fun time one last thing i picked up on this like i think most movie and songs and whatever depictions of romance are really unhealthy it's probably gonna make people more sad than make them happy but it hit me at the very end, this is one of the first movies I can recall seeing where the romance plot, it's like they're together the whole time. The romance plot is about how they go from having a like disconnected, crappy romance to having a better romance. Like, I haven't seen a movie like that in a very long time. Yeah, it's that's true. I haven't really thought about that relationship through the movie. It's anytime I've watched the movie, it was always about Tyler and the crazy side and embracing that. And I always forget about that little subplot. Yeah, <laughs> the subplot. Yeah, well, they crammed a lot in. Okay, they do. It's impressive. Well, I feel good about that. Managed to like stay focused within one side of the story and that was more fun i i feel that was more fun so yeah this was great you wanted to talk a little bit about v for vendetta yes uh one of i don't want to say it's one of my favorite movies it is but it's one of my favorite examples of minimalist speech for maximum impact is I like that. Especially looking at the main character, he's very you can tell that there's intention behind every word he says, especially when he's 
giving a speech, it feels rehearsed and well thought out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's wearing a mask. You can't see any of his features. He's normally on a plain, dimly lit background or dark background. There's very little to look at. Mm-hmm. And yet it feels so striking. It's so so good at capturing attention. The writing it, for those the and the inflection and pacing of it is just phenomenal. Hmm. So that sounds like I, something I would be interested in. Remind me, did you say you'd seen this movie? Yeah. Okay. I've seen it two or three times. So I do have two clips pulled up, but knowing that I can only show about 20 seconds at a time. So we'll just start with this one. If can, let's do. Nope. Okay. Can you see that? Yep. Perfect. Let me know if I need to adjust the volume on here. Good evening, London. Allow me first to apologize for this emergency channel. I do, like many of you, appreciate the comforts of the everyday routine. Security of the familiar, the tranquility, repetition. Bloody hell. I enjoy them as much as any bloke. But in the spirit of commemoration, whereby those important events of the past, usually associated with someone's death or the end of some awful bloody... I don't want to get us in trouble, so we're going to cut it off early. Mm -hmm. How do I... Slow, warm introduction to his speech right there. But it's so good at just showing you here's the slow ramp up music that's building attention. Here's other people slowly paying attention and seeing what's going on that it forces you to see and that other people are valuing it. That's the best way of getting someone else to value something is knowing mm. that other people do. So that's why they're cutting to like a family on a couch, people in a pub. Yeah. To build up that, oh, these people are all interested. I should be as well. They're Show, doing all tell. these other little tricks to get you engaged. That's not even the speaker. That to me is just a genius use of rather than showing the video of him talking all the time, they're using other people being interested to keep you interested. <laughs> it honestly felt a lot like a TikTok. Like I was like, oh my god, there's a lot of cuts per second. I never see that in a film unless it's an action scene. It's one of those stupid little things. And this whole thing is going on while like the TV tower is getting raided by the police. So there's going to be action coming too. But it's just, man, what a good idea of getting... Here's how we can keep people engaged. Show other people being engaged with the video without showing them the video. It's kind of, yeah, I'm going to come back to it. It's like freaking like an Instagram or a YouTube video where getting people hyped for the thing before the thing happens does so much to actually guarantee what the emotion they're going to have. You know, it's like a lot of this, you're, you're like a glider where you can start people here. There's no way to fuel up higher. So you started down here. Well, that's the max you can ever get. And you're only going down. Like, hey, this is a big deal. What happened? Like, oh, I actually do like this. I agree and continue. 
there's one other clip I wanted to show you, and it also touches a little bit on something that I want to point out. Let me just get a point in here. That would be good. You do have me curious now about um, action movie style things applied to non-action things because that was really neat it's a conversation but they're using all the tools that you'd use in a fight scene to make it more interesting like oh we could have more of that okay we'll start it here this one i think you'll also really enjoy and you'll understand in a second why i say every word feels so specifically chosen mm. but still feel sincere I love this scene Voila in view Vaudevillian <laughs> veteran cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate this visage no mere veneer of vanity is a vestige of the vox populi now vacant vanished However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta held as a votive not in vain, for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous. Oh man, I, it's just such a scene where I don't think I could ever write like that. But man, it, sh it is introducing a character that is a great way of showing every word this man says is meant to be thought out and intentional more than anyone ever does <laughs> for any word they ever speak. Oh wow, this is me being self absorbed, but I felt the opposite where. It didn't matter what words he was saying. It mattered what, how he was saying it. You know, that's what who everything, that's all who you are. That's everything of who he was. It's like, I completely believe this and I will put everything into it. Absolutely. It's both. That's the genius of it is he's mm. saying it so passionately and he seems giddy like a little child, mm. energetic. Mm to be saying this but at the same time the constant alliteration and fee for every single <laughs> yes. word that makes it hard to take the, ser the word seriously for me but at the same time after like the first five v's you're going okay he there's no more <laughs> v words left what else can you <laughs> i've exhausted my vocabulary there's no more v's and he just oh. keeps going and going and it to me, it's just, this is, if I could ever write in a way that portrays how well thought out every single word is like that, mm. it'd be exhausting. I also liked, like you said, how the pace is picked up. It starts with... Did you hear the music? Up the pace as well. The shots were suddenly pacing, switching more. Builds up the actual physical violence. 
I mean, horrible sound effect for knife on <laughs> bricks, but it's a dramatic one. It gives you the feeling. This is a thing where I would love to see you do something like that. And I know it would take a long time because I bet it took them a long time to write that and then perform it with the same level of practice than he did. And this is the kind of thing where if you were an experienced person, it could maybe take you two days. But for us, you know, that's probably like a year long project. So I don't know how to pick these. I just can't imagine that actor how many times you would have to practice that to not have it be a tongue twister and mess up and also be able to deliver it that passionately. Yeah. Like being a chess master, it's hard, but you just put in the work, you get there. The one thing I'm not sure about with this movie, I'd have to try and do some research, is if they recorded any of the lines in like a sound booth and could do multiple takes and just showed him moving because he does have the mask. Mm. They don't necessarily need it to be in the same space or the mm. same recording. But I'm not sure how they did that. That still sounds hard. You know, we learned a lot about how to edit different cuts together and make it seem flawless. That one, there's so much inertia behind it. I feel like it would have to be one take. You could have multiple chances at it, but I think you'd have to do the whole thing from start to finish. I absolutely agree. It's There might be one break in the middle where he takes a breath, but that's about the only spot I could see. Even then, I wonder, because you'd have to be at the exact same rate of speed as the previous one. Maybe. Maybe that's something to think about. Lord, that probably, probably resetted that so many times at parties in LA. <laughs> One of the other cool things that that scene shows is after he finishes going off, he's out of breath. <laughs> you can hear it just a little bit, him trying to catch his breath. God, it just takes a character who's in a mask, it's your first time meeting him, and it makes him feel human. It's also an interesting point, like, the very British style of the, his power is words, and he's just gotten so, like, fully exerted to the maximum of it, you know, it feels like it's a weighty, difficult, and dangerous talent that he just used. It's uh, so well done. There's... The speeches in that movie that he delivers are just top tier. It's fantastic. You're making me want to rewatch this one too. Plus, I mean, you get to watch Big, Blend, Big Ben blow up. See, I can't even <laughs> get alliteration with three words without having to be a tongue twister. I can't imagine that many. Good lord. I can handle three. Let's do it. That's fun. Well... Maybe that's the question we should leave people with. And you're actually tempting me to watch the movie and maybe we could go in deeper on it after I'm familiar with it. But, you know, I think we should ask if anyone's interested. What is your favorite movie? And what does it mean to you? Not what it's about. What does that movie mean to you? And then I also want to ask, what other movies are out there that have really good speeches like this because i oh. want to watch them 
That's a good question. Freaking Ryan. Nice. And don't just say the king's speech. Come on. Mm. Sorry, bad joke. Had to. Oh, that was in my head. All right, this is solid. We'll meet up again in another two weeks. And the gradual theme of that one will be is stuff that we tried to learn or tried to do too soon that we probably should have just waited till later. Sounds good. Looking forward to it already. Thanks, Ryan.